What's up everyone? It's your host Jonah. Welcome back to the Blue Collar Enlightenment Show. And if you're new, thanks for tuning in. Smash that follow button so you don't miss any new content. Hi everyone, it's your co-host T. Today's guest is Emmanuel Dubois, the host of Lafayette We Are Here, a French history podcast. We will be talking about French culture. Welcome Emmanuel. Thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you doing bud? Fine, thank you. And thanks for having me over. Of course. When I heard your story, I had to have you come on. It's uh, I enjoy your podcast as well. Well, thanks. I enjoyed yours too. I listened to a few episodes before before today. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So um, I was actually born in France. Uh, spent my childhood over there. Came to Canada. I was about ten, and um, I studied the history pretty much my whole life. You know, I started as a teenager. I uh, was interested in both science and history and one more with history because I like the story part of it. You know, you have to make and write a story, which I like. I guess you figured that out from my podcast, too. And um, I was have also been very interested in, in America, American history, uh, American culture. So that's why um, recently I launched that podcast, French History for the American Public, because I think there is a strong relation there and one I want to exploit. And on um, daily life, if you can say, I am a camera store manager here in Montreal uh, because my other passion was photography. And, you know, I was studying history and doing photography and they just basically merged at some point. <laughs> and now that's what I do. And I've been doing that for the last uh, 12 years or so. Well, that's awesome. And you live in Canada, correct? Yeah, Montreal, Quebec, yeah. And uh, you studied in France, right? I, I studied here in 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 Montreal. I, I've spent my childhood in France, but the rest here in Canada. So the, my major studies, if you will, were in Canada. But I, my parents were French. I was raised as a French boy in Canada, if you will, in in the French-speaking part of Canada. But that the the French people here are not the same as the one in France, <laughs> you know? So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a nice little mix, if you will, of everything. So I'm like the French guy living in Montreal with both cultures mixed and that likes to have fun and enjoy other cultures. Well, that's a beautiful thing well, uh, to appreciate other cultures too. Yeah. And here, I mean, I'm just so lucky here being in Montreal, you know, you have access to everything, you know, you're close to the States, you're, cl you have the Frank, the French culture, the English culture. Uh, I could not hope for a better place to be, to have access to all that stuff, you know? Isn't it called the melting pot or something? Yeah, that would be New York, United I think. But <laughs> oh, is it? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I've just heard it. <laughs> so Montreal is right up in there in that Detroit area of the United States, right? Uh, more east, uh, you, uh, the close Canadian town to Detroit would be Toronto more, uh, and not that close, but it's, it's Toronto is a lot closer to Detroit than Montreal. Montreal is like you you take New York City, you go straight up like um, six hours, boom, you're in Montreal. Okay, I guess I should have just looked at a map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are we are on the Saint Lawrence River. St. Louis. Okay, so I was doing some research on, you know, we were going to talk about the French culture in America. Mm -hmm. And there's not much information out there about that. I'll tell you that right now. Mm. So 
One thing that I did pick up is that the French, when they immigrated over into this area, it was before the, uh, what is it, the colonials, they came over and had everything set up. And it's crazy because it was early 1500s, the French that were coming over and going through that river into the Great Lakes and down the Mississippi into Louisiana. And so the French actually owned all of that. Yeah, and uh, you know it's actually why it's named Louisiana because the uh, I don't know if you saw that, but the French explorer that went all the way down basically he walked from the Saint Lawrence River all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. Um, oh, you know, and in the, this one was in the 1600s, and he named this whole territory Louisiana because of his king Louis XIV. And if I can make a small advertisement, I'm gonna. My next episode is on Louis the Fourteenth. It's coming out um, on Tuesday. So if you want to learn about that guy, he's one of the most famous French kings. Um, it's just a few few more days. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, to some what you said, the, the the French came. The first French that came in Canada, it was 1532 or 34. Uh, his name was Jacques Cartier. Uh, maybe you saw his name. He was an explorer. He came three times actually to America uh, during the 1500s. Was commissioned by the King Francis I, and I mean, as you said, it's the 1500s. You're basically you're just out of the Middle Ages, <laughs> you know. It's just your it's the Renaissance that we call uh, this period in time. And I mean, crossing the Atlantic at the time, you need to be serious about what you were doing, and you need to be brave because you know it's incredibly dangerous, and they have no clue whatsoever where they're going into. You know, when they meet the locals. They didn't even know they were locals and they didn't know how to call them. They don't know the, the name of the place. And you have such a legacy of these people like here where I, where I live in Montreal, the, the, uh, uh, what you call it? Uh, the neighborhood is called Oshelaga, which is, a uh, you know, it's a native name and apparently it, it means village. And apparently it was the name of the place when Jacques Cartier came in the 1500s, you know? So it's funny that I live in the neighborhood that, has the name <laughs> when he first encountered the natives. That's crazy. That's an old place. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, but I did find it very interesting on how the French were using the Mississippi River to transport goods up and down because Detroit is actually a French. Yeah, it's Detroit in French. <laughs> that, yeah, I was going to say that, but... Um, <laughs> But I was going to ask you if you know if there are any more major areas along that river that were heavily French when that was going yeah, on. Yeah, yes, actually, many uh, along the river and also a bit over a place. Like, if you want a few on the top of my head, some American cities that were actually French, either forts or settlements or commercial counters, you have Chicago, you have Memphis, you have. Um, of course, in Louisiana, you have New Orleans, which is La Nouvelle Orléans. Orléans is a French town. Um, and you have Pittsburgh, which was Fort Duquesne. It was a French military fort. Uh, and I think you have like 50 others. That's just the one I have on, on the top of my head. Because basically the French, what they did along the river and a bit, you know, outside of it, they built forts to protect themselves against the natives and then again against the British that were settling in the east uh, on the coast and they did counters because the French did a lot of trade uh, with the natives uh, a lot more than the English actually 
they, 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 they quickly established a very good relationship with many natives. I mean, at the beginning, of course, it was, you know, a conflict because the French were coming in and the natives were like, who are these folks coming over from, you know, from who God knows where. But after a certain time, they managed to establish a good relation with many of them and to have a very prosperous, actually, uh, commercial exchange. When was the Louisiana purchase? What year was that? The purchase that was under Napoleon. So that's in the early 1900s. So the French owned that whole territory for that long? Well, yes and no. The thing, um, you have two settlements. If you are. you have New France, which is basically in Can- which is Canada, uh, along the St. Lawrence River. And you have Louisiana, which is along the Mississippi River, all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico and modern state of Louisiana, more or less. And, um, the French lost New France in the war of in the Seven Year War, which you Americans call this, uh, the the French and Indian War. Um, so in 1763, that was when there was a treaty of that war, and that's when France had to give up New France because they lost that war to England. They kept the colonies in the Caribbean, but they lost that. But they still had Louisiana, uh, and after the French Revolution in 1789, and there was a lot of wars uh, going on in Europe uh, that involved France. And then you have Napoleon that came along in at the end of the century, and he basically invaded Europe. Um, and this, so that means he needed money. <laughs> and that's why he sold Louisiana. Because at the time, Louisiana was not um, making money. It was costing money uh, for France. So they did a quick, you know, calculation and boom, we'll just sell it and get rid of it. We don't have to, didn't, didn't have the means to maintain it and to wage war in Europe. Didn't they buy it for some like low, low amount? Considering what it is, yes, it's crazy low. I mean, I don't have the amount exactly, but it was a lot of money in pure term of money. But considering the size of the territory, it's uh, it just... But the French were the French were basically in a bad position to negotiate. They just needed, you know, when you need the money, you need money. basically it's a fire sale. Yeah, because I remember I think in school learning it, and they even said, in today's money, that would buy you nothing. And I was I like, know. wow, that's crazy. Yeah. But the thing they were by doing so, they were also getting rid of something that was costing them money because it that was that was costing them money to to basically be there to build stuff there, and they didn't have a good, you know, and Look at the map. I mean, you basically have that colony, which is at the time in between. So you have the English, I mean, the no American parts on the east. You have the Spanish on the south. So it's not, you know, ideal place to do whatever you want to move. So I can understand the reasoning. I mean, it's easy for us 200 years later to say, hey, guys, you know, you should have kept it. But at the time, I guess it made sense to the French uh, deciders. Boy, think about if they never sold it. But he's right. We can say, oh, well, you should have kept that. But that's like saying, you know, you shouldn't sell your house because it could be worth money one day. But you can't afford the house. So you're going to lose it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't. To be honest, I don't blame Louisiana has a lot of alligators and stuff. Who's. Louisiana. I've never Louisiana. been to Louisiana. I'm just giving them a hard time. All of my Louisiana listeners, the whole two of you out there. 
anyway, back on to this. So what kind of drove you to start your podcast and want to get all that info out there? Was it more, is this more of a hobby or is it a long-term thing that you're looking at? Um, I would say long, a bit of both in the sense that, you know, um, for the last 10 years or so, I've been doing a lot less history because, you know, I, I did my master's in 2011, uh, and I've been working as the camera store manager and, uh, you know, I've been reading history, but not doing much, not doing research, not, not doing classes, anything like that, uh, except the occasional thing with a friend or whatever. But, um, so I wanted to go back to that, you know, that, to go back to my roots of doing history, of enjoying it and of sharing it because, you know, it's such, so interesting. You just want to talk for hours about it. Um, and I figured the podcast would be the best way to do that. Um, and I had some, uh, let's say personal tragedy in my life at the same point in time. So I wanted something positive, uh, to, to do and to, to create, uh, so it did do that, you know, uh, it, it's a lot of help. It's a lot of work, but I enjoy it. You know, I, 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 I do one episode a month. I try to keep uh, that rhythm, um, but it, with proper research and trying to do an actual narrative, some, something that people like to, to listen to. Um, and I do it in a steady tone. I don't, I'm not trying to be either too funny or too serious. I'm just trying to be calm and steady and clear. Uh, one of my good friends, uh, Andrew, said I have the, the latte voice <laughs> when I talk like this. So uh, I guess I'm, I'm doing it not too badly. Yeah, I remember that space that you jumped on that one evening. Uh, you captivated every woman in that space. Everybody was just like, oh, my God, let's let him talk. Slam talk. <laughs> That's so creepy. Though. It was. It, it was funny as hell because we were all like, all right, Emmanuel, go ahead and keep talking. <laughs> yeah, I, thought, I thought that was Tony. That was the first yeah, time it, I ever actually talked to him. Uh, yeah, it was funny. You know, I didn't expect that. You know, <laughs> women are crazy. <laughs> they really are. I walked uh, in, nothing her, in here earlier, and he was talking to a British guy, and I was just like. They took it back. Like I was like, I was not expecting that. <laughs> yeah, I do that live Twitter space every Thursday night. And then mm -hmm. I've been starting to do those randoms when I'm just hanging out and I got nothing to do. And uh I was talking to a couple of my buddies today and she comes in and she was not expecting to hear this British accent just <laughs> pop up off my phone. Yeah, well, you see, for you know, the difference between your accent and the British accent, you could consider it's about the same difference between a French guy and a guy from Quebec. You know, they both speak French. The accent is so different, you cannot mistake one for the other. If you have any ear for French, you know, it's very obvious. And even the words, <laughs> the choice of words, they are different. The dialects. Exactly. Yeah, there's right. a dialect and the, there's also the fact that, you know, as I said, the French, the actual power of France left Quebec, what is now called Quebec, in the 1760s. So that means they spoke French, but from that time period. And French here evolved in a way, and in France evolved in another way. So you have, for example, words that people use here that people don't use anymore in France. Um, I don't know. For example, the word for smoke in French is the fumée. But here in Quebec, they say boucan, because it's the word that the French used in the 18th century. And uh, you've heard that name probably because of the buccaneers, you know, the boats mm -hmm. <laughs> that comes from the French boucan, which means smoke. Mm 
Hmm. So it's a lot of, you know, <laughs> once you get into linguistics and stuff like that, it's, you, you can't stop, you know, it's fascinating. And it's also, uh, you know, it's, it's just never ending. Yeah. Me and my friend were actually just talking about the different dialects and like the different way, uh, Spanish, we were talking about Spanish and the different words for the same word kind of thing. And it was just like, we just got in a real deep conversation about it. Oh yeah, I, I got a story for this. You want to hear it? Oh man, I was in the Navy. You want to talk about melting pot? I there was a I don't know. I'm not gonna say certain Spanish people. There was one guy. He was saying something to another Spanish guy, but it was different uh, country Spanish, and so. He said something, and that other guy was like, hold on. What did you just say to me? And he said it again. He's like, you want to rethink what you just said? He's like, well, what do you mean? This is what it means. He, and he goes, you better be glad you cleared that up right there. <laughs> I, I was just laughing. I was like, oh, man. But that was about a fight. That would have been great. It is. I mean, you could say something and it can mean something else in a different oh, dialect and it you, make somebody mad. If you want um, a very concrete example of that in French, is your podcast um, good for adult subjects? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. For example, in French, uh, there is a word, that, a word that means two completely different things in Quebec or in France. Um here in Quebec, they have a, um, how can I put it, a very old style of singing that comes from, I guess, the French folks from the 18th century called La Turlute. That's the name of the way of singing. But in France, in, in France, Turlute is a blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine. <laughs> that is not what that means is America. Okay. <laughs> That is the total opposite of what it means in America. Because toilet means you going to the bathroom. Yeah, but it's turlut, not toilet. Turlut. Well, it sounds close. It sounds close, but it's not exactly not it's at not all the, the same. same. That was just like me trying to pronounce his last name correctly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> My bad. So you can imagine in the conversation and the, you know, the the Quebec guy going they want me to you know toilet for you and the French guy going what the hell are you just saying to me? <laughs> <laughs> Which now door? <laughs> hold on, put yourself in that situation and that dude stand up, unzip his pants and look at you and say, "Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna take you on your word." <laughs> <laughs> You know. Oh God, you know. So that's an example, but I guess you have those in any language, you know, if you <laughs> if you look hard enough. Oh, that's oh, funny. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the funniest example I have in uh, as a Quebec versus France <laughs> that's awesome. differences. But you know, most of the time we understand each other pretty well. Well, we got a little off subject there. Yeah. Don't we always? <laughs> Don't we always? It's always fun. What are some of the things that we do in America that come from the French culture? Dang. That's a good question. I'd say um, 
to me, there are a few, maybe not on the everyday life, but in the way that your country was actually created. Um, because your um, founding fathers were very influenced by French thinkers called the Lumière, uh, the Enlightenment. Um, so you are the early Americans that actually, you know, established the basis of uh, your your states, your Congress, all that stuff, you know, and your your political system and your values, your core values, at least as far as politics go and way of having a democracy go, were very influenced by people in France um, of the same time period of it, or the same century, at least. Like you, if you think of uh, French writers like uh, Voltaire or Diderot uh, or Montesquieu, uh, these people had a huge in- impact in France, but also in America. And they actually often, maybe not Voltaire because it's a bit before, but they were very aware of what was going on in America uh, at the time where you actually became a country. And I'm not even talking about the military implication of France in, in the war of independence, but the, like the more f- the philosophical in- intervention, if you will, uh, the communication between the, f- the French thinkers and the American thinkers and how this influenced your your life uh, today, because, you know, that's the country you live in, you know. Uh, so it did have an impact on on where you are and why you are Americans. Um, that, that, to me, is the main link, if you are between the two countries, that you can see everywhere in your country, over America. Yeah, because when the French started immigrating over into America before the colonies were even established, there was a divide in the country, correct? What do you mean a Between divide? Between Protestants and the Catholics. Uh, in France, you mean? Yes. Yes, very strong one. Um, the f- uh, f- uh, a lot of French Protestants had to leave France uh, because of the oppression uh, from the Catholic uh, kingdom. But it, it was in two waves. Uh, you have the, what we call the wars of religion in France, are like the second half of the 16th century. So you do have French Protestants leaving the country, but mostly they go to England or the Netherlands. They go to other Protestant countries, you know. Uh, the French power, actually, actually, they did whatever they could to have only Catholic coming over to New France. Uh, that's why here the Quebecers are from Catholic tradition um, and not Protestant. Uh, you're going to be hard pressed to find a, a Protestant Quebecer. Uh, most of them are not even Catholic anymore. They gave up on religion for most for the most part, but I mean, he, the, the tradition was Catholic. Um, and then in the 17th century, there was another wave of uh, French immigrants that left France for the same reason, because we restarted to persecute Protestants. Uh, Louis XIV wanted again to unite, if you will, the country under the Catholic um uh, supremacy and of course as each time you do something like that it backfires and people just leave with their uh, brains and ideas and uh, and money so it's just a net loss out of you know for no good reason i did read somewhere that the uh protestants that weren't during that time that they weren't allowed to immigrate out into new france i guess and into the uh, correct into the area yeah, the colonies, the, they, could, they could not go. Yeah, the ones that did come over would be like bribing the people and getting over here, and then they wouldn't even stay within the French 
um, colonies. They were going over to the British colonies and intermingling with them. Mm-hmm. It's true that you had some French uh, Protestants. The, the name for that, the French name is the Huguenots. That's the name we gave to the French Protestants, the, uh, the Huguenots. So these people that came here, they did go to the British for religious region, reason. And you're, you're right that they were often carpenters, merchants, um, people with, you know, expertise that you could use right away. <laughs> uh, so they were often welcome with open arms because, you know, who doesn't need uh, people like that, in, especially in a growing colony, you know? Right. Did you know the French as one of the oldest histories in the world. Damn. I, I apologize. It was coming up. I kind of picked up on that, you know, when you guys are talking. I, oh, yeah. Yeah, I got that part. Yeah. Over, over 20 centuries old. That's a lot of history. That is a lot of history to cover, Bo. Yeah, and that's why you should know everybody's name <laughs> and how they died. Exactly. But you know, we the, the the country's history goes back to basically the Roman era. So that's um, that's, that's a lot a to cover. And if it can do a, another, you know, self publicity, I did actually one of my episodes is an overview of French history, but an hour and fifteen minutes to have a comprehensive view of the history of the country, which was freaking hard to write. <laughs> But it's, uh, I think it's, you know, it can be a refresher. It can be a discovery if you just want to have an idea of French history as a whole without have, going into too much detail and just have it like a, a track on how it went. Uh, I think it's a good start to, yeah, it would be a good start for anyone. So he's telling me that I need to go listen to that. That's what I picked up on that. Yeah, I'm doing yeah, self 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 promotion like, to tea. What's wrong with that? He's like, <laughs> uh, you don't know enough. <laughs> go well, learn these you know, things for me. No. <laughs> Not not everybody studies that, you know, it's you you already have you know, you have your own country to study <laughs> before going to another. <laughs> yeah, and we don't. <laughs> Man, if you look at American history versus a French history. We a hot mess. Well, not that. There ain't that much. Think about it. I mean, we have we are the history. We have the the, the you know, some of the crappiest stuff we got, you know, with slavery, but that was all over the world. We had a bunch of wars, and that's about it. Yeah, but if you think about our wars, a lot of them were from other places on American land. Like, we are immigrants that go back and fight in the countries that we originally came from. Something like that. Is that like, the is it down? like our. We're all people from all around the world in one spot. We're not like we didn't just come from America. We weren't made here, like except for Native Americans, except for them. But like he said, the French came in, the British came in, and then they fought. And then, you know what I mean? Yeah, we're a hot mess. Yeah, I'm a hot mess. We're going to cut that out, okay? So. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> every, freaking are. I mean, every, every people in history are built like that. I mean, there is no pure people that just doesn't exist. Uh, you watch any country, you have movements of populations over the centuries. Just yours is a lot closer than most because America was discovered by Europeans fairly recently. But, you know, if you studied French history, I mean, 
that's when when I hear French, some French politicians talking about quote pure French people, I just want to throw them in the river, you know, because that doesn't exist. Uh, you know, uh, if you were to, I'm sure if you were to do a genetic analysis of any French man, you would have 50 uh, origins, you know, because you would have people from Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Central Europe, Africa, Northern Europe, you know, it's just, you know, over the centuries, uh, I could talk about the many invasions <laughs> French did or had, you know, you know, and each time you have people going both ways. Um, yeah, the so most recent one was World War II, correct? Yeah. Yeah. In, in case of yeah, in case of France, yeah. Yeah, y'all took the blunt of stuff, huh? That's uh that one was um that one was funny, if you will, because the um if you look at the two world wars, they're just twenty years apart, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's basically even not even a full generation. And the first world war lasted four years. Uh and basically the French uh, had to do the the most of the fighting. Uh, you know, the French took uh, the French army suffered over 1.4 million deaths during that war, mm. uh, and twice as many wounded. On a country of 35 million souls, that's a lot. That's a and hit. especially you have about the most people that died were like 20 to 28 years old men. So that's a big, you know. And in 1940. Uh, when the you know the when Germany attacked France, they destroyed the French army. I mean, they defeated the French army in six weeks. So you have the same country that held for four years that gets crushed in f six weeks. So that means two things. That means first the Germans did a good plan, <laughs> and that means the French did not. The French lost that war as much as the Germans won it. If you you see what I mean. It's errors, errors from the French high command, not the men on the ground. The men on the ground did everything they could. You know, they they suffered sixty thousand dead in in like a month. That's you know, that's a huge amount. They fought like hell, um, and you had good officers on the ground. But the high-ranking officers first they were geezers. The youngest was seventy-three. These people were old in the first war, <laughs> you know. Uh, they were still fighting the World War One. When in their minds, yes. Came, yeah, and I so, you know, that. how to coordinate planes and tanks and all that stuff, they, they had no clue how to do it properly. So they did it the old way. The Germans, their generals were like more 45, 50 with new ideas, you know, and they took advantage of that. And the Germans were the first one to be surprised. I mean, when the Germans had to launch the attack against France, most of them were veterans for the first war as uh, soldiers. You know, they experienced the trenches, gas, all that stuff. And they were like, they were not happy with the idea of going to fight France. They were scared of that. Like, okay, are we going again for four years of hell? You know, because it was hell. I mean, the first in terms of pure hell on earth, the first world war gets a trophy, hands down. There is no war like it. Um, and you know, so when this happens and France is defeated, it shocks the world. You know, uh, France, but the other countries too, like the British were cared shitless because their army to give you a proportion the french army is about 85 divisions at the time the german about 90 the british about six mm. so that gives you an idea of the strength of each country in terms of land power <laughs> so when you have your ally that has 85 divisions that gets their ass handed to them in six weeks you know it's not funny <laughs> no it's not and then france was occupied for 
for uh, for four years. You know, you had the, the Germans in France uh, for four years. And um, can I tell a personal story about that? Oh, that, please go ahead. So my grandfathers fought that war, and one of them was made prisoner uh, in 1940, and he spent two years in a POW camp in Germany. Uh, which is longer than average, but he was a medic, so they keep him longer because of that, because he was useful. You know, he could basically treat French POWs and even German soldiers if need be. So when he came back to France, my grandmother was living in Paris. Came back. Ten months later, you have my dad. <laughs> so, um, but in 1944, when they saw that the War was coming back to France. The Allies were about to invade. You know, there was going to be fighting again. They said, we can't stay in Paris. It's too dangerous. They had my dad, which was about a year old at that, that point. So they wanted to flee. So they did. They went to his uh, uncle's house in the country. His uncle was a wine producer. And one night, he discovers that he has bottles being stolen from him during the night. So he goes, he fetched my grandfather and said, you know what? Tomorrow night, we're going to wait for those guys and we're going to catch them because they're going to come back. So they wait in the dark in a, in a cave and they see two German soldiers in arm coming, taking bottles and leaving. So the, the thieves were three German soldiers. The German soldiers were not supposed to steal from the French. They were supposed to respect the population. They were supposed to be, you know, they were supposed to be in a decent way, if you will. So my grandfather asked his uncle what they want to do about it. They're soldiers. He says, you know what? We're going to wait for them tomorrow again, and we're going to jump him. Those two guys had military training. They knew what they were doing. So they did that. They wait for the German soldiers. They come back. They jump him. They rough him up. Like, you have no idea. Man. I think they took the whole country's vengeance on their faces. They leave, and they say, we're going to go tomorrow morning to watch the morning call at the German commandant tour. That's where you had basically the, the military office of the Germans for that town. And so you have like 50 German soldiers in line and two of them are <laughs> completely messed up with, you know, dark eyes and broken nose. And of course you have the German officer walking and inspecting his soldiers and he stops in front of those guys and basically asks, what the hell happened? And they didn't say they were trying to steal from the French. They said that they got drunk and fought them themselves. Because <laughs> <laughs> they've probably gotten more trouble. They would be in a lot more trouble, and uh, you know, uh, like my my grandfather learned German while in captivity, and when they were still in Paris, and my grandmother was pregnant with my dad, if a German soldier did not let her sit, like in the subway, he would yell at him in German, and the guy would go away because he would basically tell him, "I'm going to report you to your superior officer, and you're going to get 15 days of jail or three weeks." And the guy would say, "Yeah, sorry, my bad," you know. The guy was a soldier, and my grandfather was just a civilian. So, you know, lots of funny <laughs> stories like that. <laughs> That's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, my grandfather was in World War II. He was in the Navy as well. I think mine was in the Air Force. My great-grandpa. I didn't get on, to meet that grandpa. I never get to hear any of his stories. On, on which uh, front was he? You know? Um... He was in the Philippines. Oh, nasty. Yeah. <laughs> so he was on that side. So, yeah, I mean, back here, I, don't, back I, here. I, I would think either side was just as rough. I wouldn't even 
put it past during that time. That if you comes. were, if you were an American, um, I mean, war is war. You know, it's never fun. But if I were an American soldier and I have the choice between going in the Pacific or Europe, I would choose Europe. Yeah, Pacific for the average American soldier was a way tougher. Oh yeah, all the islands that they had to stay on. Yeah, um, the the fighting was just more bitter, brutal. if you will. Uh, yeah, more brutal. I mean, it was no picnic in Europe, but I'm talking from the American soldier perspective. If you were German or Soviet or whatever, it could be different. But for an American, um, the worst you could get was basically being sent as as a soldier uh, in the Philippines or the other islands in the Pacific. Uh, maybe as a Navy guy, not that much because you don't have to land on that on the islands. So it could be okay as much as being in a war is okay. Um, but, you know, uh, as a Marine or a GI, I uh, would choose Europe and, you know, anything. Water or sea or water or land. Take your pick. Depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you're under kamikaze attack, meh, you know. <laughs> I'll take that island. I'll take that yeah, island exactly. all day if I don't have to go through a cat. I will tell you what the... The worst training was the gas mask in the military. Having to have that thing on for hours on end for no damn reason sucked. Yeah. Well, imagine so having imagine it on for weeks. <laughs> having that, the, the, the one that they had, because they had the pack. It wasn't even like the ones that they have today where it's just a little canister. So it was like a 15-pound pack that you're carrying around with this long snout, probably rolling in a 95 degree weather with smoke and everything in your eye. Oh, that would suck. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the image we have like of the first world war veterans, you know, with those gas masks because they used gas a lot during the first world war. So imagine having that mask on for weeks, months, no, weeks or months, you know, it's, oh, yeah. it's uh, as I said, World War One in terms of brutality and loss of humanity, uh, it's probably the worst conflict in history, you know, and uh, yeah, it's a rough one of the most static, you know, the front, if you look at the history of that war, the Western Front, they didn't budge for three years, it was like the same place for three years, just shitting each other, mass massacre over massacre over massacre, and not gaining or losing that much ground, just plain, you know, carnage. But, Plain carnage for no, no reason, and I can't imagine someone of our time, our generation, the way we were raised, the way we were trained, and stuff. People of our time going through like this, I just don't see it. They could. I don't think most people today could even grasp the concept of what war actually is. Exactly. Um, like in Europe, you still have people that um, could grasp it as a concept because these wars happened there you know so there's some oral history and tradition and people talk about that stuff and you can actually see the places um where it happened so maybe they can relate to it up to a point uh but for example for americans you, you didn't have a war on your soil since the civil war so good mm -hmm. for you but it's it makes it harder for i guess the average american to imagine those things yeah our country is kind of hard to invade if you, well, yeah, you have geography on your side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, geography's got us because you could land here. You don't know what you're landing in because mm. every every state has a different type of topography. 
Mm. It's insane because you can go two states up, you got a whole mountain range that goes down. And then right on the other side of that, you could have fat, flat plains that roll yeah. into swamps that you would never even see. Yeah, plus you have two nice oceans on each side, so you know <laughs> <laughs> it does it does prevent invasion. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, what has been the most enlightening moment of your life so far, my man? The most enlightening moment. That's a good question. What has been the most enlightening moment in my life? Well, it's gonna sound extremely cliche, but I'm gonna say the night my son was born. It's just an image that. You know, each time I think of a moment of just plain, pure, stupid happiness, it's that moment. And it, it makes you realize like a lot of things in a nanosecond about yourself, I think. I understand that. I completely agree. You, you take a deep, quick thought and it opens up a whole different perspective in your life once you see that baby come out. Yeah. Yeah. So well, that's yeah, a beautiful that, that, thing. I love that's it. That's what you may answer, yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been awesome talking with you, and I hope that you're able to come back again and we can just keep these conversations rolling. Yeah, it's always fun, and thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. We had a blast. <laughs> so tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Where's your podcast? Yeah, so you can find my podcast at lafayettepodcast.com or on Twitter at lafayettepod, in one word, or anywhere you find your podcast. You type Lafayette, we are here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever, you're going to find me. I have three episodes, uh, four episodes so far up. One is on the Marquis de Lafayette himself. One is on the overview of French history. One is the um, Franco- uh, Persian War of 1870, which I did a lot of comparisons with the American Civil War because it's just five years after. And the next episode, the fourth one coming up Tuesday, is on Louis XIV, the Sun King. And it was named that way for a good reason. Very intricate work that goes into a lot of research. Make sure to give him a rank. Make sure to give us a rate. And that's all the time we have for today. You can find us on Facebook, the Blue Collar Enlightenment Show, and at the BCE Show on Twitter. Give us a follow and remember to message us about what you think of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye. Au revoir. This week's shout-out goes to Ramblings of